Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So uh, I I mentioned uh, this turn him loose Bruce comment. Turn him loose Bruce was a judge in New York City back in like the 70s and 80s, I want to say, before my time. But I remember reading about him in a book, and uh, he got this reputation and this nickname because he would always turn them loose. And during the 70s and 80s, for people who aren't aware, New York City was, uh, well, Donald Trump might refer to it as almost a third world country kind of level of crime. And uh, it was not, not, it was not pleasant. A lot of criminal activity, a lot of assaults, a lot of murdering, a lot of rapes. A lot of, you know, just, just a lot of robberies. So um, if you've ever seen, um, was it the document? Yeah, the, uh, the documentary called uh, Escape from New York, I believe. Uh, that's right. So that's what it looked like. And so uh, with Kurt Russell and everything. And so uh, there was a judge and he would turn everybody loose. And uh, then lo and behold, uh, Judge Bruce gets mugged. And he's uh, injured, so he's uh, hospitalized. He is, he's out of court for a while. But then he's back on the job, back on the bench. And there's a bunch of media that show up there, and they're like, what's he going to do? Is he going to start throwing the book at people, you know? And he starts off by saying, you know, just because this happened to me, it doesn't mean I'm going to change my philosophy or the way that I basically let all of these defendants walk free. And somebody in the back of the courtroom yells, mug him again, (laughs) because it didn't work the first time. And so that's the story I keep thinking of as I read about how New York City is attempting to deal with all of the thousands of migrants. Don't call them immigrants. They're migrants, right? Because that's a I guess that's a, a sanitized version of the description that's a that's a preferable name for some reason i don't know why but migrant and so they're like we have thousands of them meanwhile eagle pass saw like 4000 in a day i think the the total yesterday was somewhere around 11000 in a day new york city can't even handle that in a month and they're like oh, i can't anymore <laughs> i'll go i'll go Governor Kathy Hockle announced yesterday that she's going to deploy additional National Guardsmen. Guardsmen? Guards people. Guards people? Guardsists. Guardsists. Guardists? Guard. National Guard. I just say, yeah, okay. Troops. To help manage the migrant crisis overwhelming New York City and much of the surrounding area. An additional, are you ready for it? 150, that's it actually, just 150. 150 National Guardsmen will be mobilized to help process the massive number of migrants entering the state each week, bringing the total number of guardsmen assigned to work on New York's migrant crisis to 2,200. 
Hockle said 250 National Guard members will be tasked solely with case management. Paperwork. They're sending guardsmen, National Guard troops, to do paperwork. Much of the focus will be on helping all of the eligible Venezuelans apply for their TPS, which is Temporary Protected Status, and their work authorizations. Because last week, Hockle directed the New York State Department of Labor to connect employers with newly eligible asylum seekers and migrants who are pursuing work authorizations. For that effort, over 70 state personnel representing 16 separate state agencies were assigned. Just remember, all of these government bureaucrats and all of the National Guard troops, like you are taking them away from doing other things. And that comes at a cost. Once again, I know Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, don't really seem too interested in checking out the other side of the ledger on the whole cost-benefit analysis thing here, but there is a cost. Over 116,000 migrants have arrived in New York City since the spring when border states began busing migrants to blue sanctuary cities. Just remember, none of this would be happening right now had those governors of the Republican states, the border states, had they not done the political stunt that they did. I was all for it because I suspected this is what was going to happen. When you make them live by their own rules, they cannot do it. You know who told me that? Saul Alinsky told me that. Yeah, I told you folks, you're not going to like it when these tactics are used against you. And here we are. Make you live up to your own standards. The stuff that you say about everybody else or the rules that you have for your sanctuary city, we're going to make you live up to that now. Here you go. And that's why I'm saying mug them again. Send twice as many buses. Because this doesn't stop until Democrats make it stop. That's where we are in America. This doesn't stop until Democrats make their president stop it. This is all on Joe Biden. This is Joe Biden's America. People getting eaten by alligators and hundreds of thousands of people crossing the border. Meanwhile, we're going and sending hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars over to Ukraine to protect their borders. This this is their priorities, the Biden administration priorities. So um, if, if you want it to change, blue cities, if you want this to change, you guys got to start pressuring your guy. Dozens of illegal immigrants have been sleeping on the floor of the bar at New York City's Roosevelt Hotel turned into a shelter. Kind of classic that it would be the Roosevelt. But anyway, according to the New York Post, this comes just after the first wave of asylum seekers was evicted due to the city's 60-day stay limit rule. The eviction notice affected the first 13,000 single adult illegal immigrants to be housed in the former hotel. So they put everybody up, but oh, then you got to toss them out. And now you've run out of time. Those affected can return to the main intake center at the site and then reapply for housing. 
Because of the city's right-to-shelter law that they passed before they had to bear any of the brunt or responsibility of their sanctuary policies, uh, they had to be given housing. But the new stay-limit rule has recently been reduced by New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Newly uh, instated illegal immigrants will only be granted free taxpayer-funded housing for 30 days. So they cut it in half. See, they're meeting up with reality. All of their utopian visions and virtue signaling crumble in the face of reality. The reality that their policies have created down at the border, and they've been perfectly willing to offload all of the burden and all of the costs to all of those other states. And now I say send more. Send them to more locations. Break the cities. Seriously. I don't know any other way to fix this. I've I have spent 20 years, 20 years arguing over our broken border system and our immigration system. And I am pro legal immigration. But the parties, the Republicans and the Democrats alike, have broken the system. And now it seems like Joe Biden is attempting to just completely collapse the border. And I almost suspect it's an It's a way to institute changes that the American people might not otherwise be interested in adopting. So the other day, the Biden administration announced that it is granting temporary legal status to potentially more than 700,000 Venezuelans, protecting them from deportation orders. The administration is also working to grant over uh, half of the same population work permits that the Secretary of Homeland Security, which I guess deserves a Alejandro Mayorkas, indicated, uh, he says, would be good for up to five years. But these work permits are usually just two years. But because you're fleeing Venezuela in a brand new sort of uh, crazy situation going on in Venezuela, which actually isn't happening anything new, really. It's kind of what it's always been since the communist revolution. But whatever. Now, it's super, super important that we uh, give asylum. And so five years. You can work in America for five years. So again, I said this the other day. This is a very rational decision. If you can make the trip and get here, you're going to get to stay. And they're going to give you work permits And maybe you'll even get amnesty at some point. In fact, the editorial board at National Review, they call this Biden's backdoor amnesty. The announcement comes as Eagle Pass, Texas, is once again getting overwhelmed by thousands upon thousands of migrants who have thrown themselves at the border in just the last week. These are gate crashers, by the way. And I could say that as one who gate crashed, not into America, but at a Grateful Dead show. Uh, The mayor of Eagle Pass has declared a disaster and a state of emergency while Customs and Border Protection is rushing personnel down there. And by the way, you just heard, I'm sure, on the news today with Fox News' Bill Malugin um, that when they overwhelm, when the cartels, and, and none of this border flow that we're seeing, none of this happens without the drug cartels. They're They're benefiting, they're managing, and so... None of this happens without them, and they direct the flows to overwhelm the border in one part, and then they send drugs and human smuggling and whatever else they're sending across the border somewhere else, right? 
It's all it's it's distraction. So the mayor has declared a state of emergency alongside the massive amnesty for Venezuelans. Mayorkas announced that the Defense Department would commit 800 troops to help secure the border. Sorry. Joining another 2,500 from the National Guard, which is a nice but ultimately meaningless gesture without a serious political commitment to enforcement. Right. Putting people on the border. It's the same thing as what they're doing in New York, sending National Guard down to just do paperwork. Because if you're not actually stopping people, if you've got more military personnel going down there to cut open the wall and weld open the doors, then that's not protection. There's no point. You're just sending them down there to hold a guest book in front of people saying, please sign, please, please sign. And if they don't sign, it's like, oh, well, we tried. It's just theater. It's like... Uh, it's like so much of the TSA security after 9-11. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? I got a couple of messages here. Let me uh, let me open up the uh, the mail sack here and uh, start perusing. We've got Dennis who says, "Pete, hasn't the time hasn't the time become overdue to have Texas rename Eagle Pass to Illegal Pass?" I like it. I like it. Um, let me get Ronnie on the program here as well. Hello, Ronnie. Welcome to the show. What's going on? No, hang on a second, Ronnie. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry. Okay, Ronnie, welcome to the show. By giving these work permits to these illegals, the jobs they're going to go after are the roofers, the landscapers, the restaurant workers, and the domestics. And what happens to these people that are doing the jobs now? They get squeezed out. They get squeezed. You're going to have a lot of crime. Right. Well, this is part of the reason why there are so many teenagers that don't have jobs. And it's one of the biggest fallacies surrounding the uh, the fight for 15. Remember the big fights over the raising of the minimum wage? Yeah. And they kept making these arguments about, you know, well, nobody can live on, you know, nine dollars an hour. Well, no, but that's those are entry level jobs that are supposed to be basically for um, uh, inexperienced young workers to gain entry, gain some skills and then move on. It's not supposed to be your permanent job forever. But what happens is when you have uh, this pressure coming in from people who are here illegally, so they they don't have a lot of skills that they can apply. If they have skills, they can't get the jobs legally. And so they end up in these types of uh, professions. And it squeezes out a lot of the, the teenage workforce that they're not getting skills then either. Well, these people that are doing the job now, they're not going to stand for it. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, they're going to be working for less. And it actually, this is one of the uh, one of the real 
evil side effects of all of these policies is that it it forces people into these in, almost indentured relationships. You know, you, you get employers that take advantage of their workers. They siphon money out of their paychecks. They skim off the top. They pay him cash. And then uh, the workers can't really do anything. They can't get out of line. They can't say anything because if they do, then they get deported or they're threatened with deported, I should say. They're threatened with deportation. And that's the way they're kept in line. And it's uh, it's awful. They get they're abused. And our system allows for that to occur. And we're apparently our leadership is okay with it. Ronnie, I appreciate the call. I am kind of curious. Do do any of these. do any of the migrants, do any of them uh, start taking any of the UAW jobs? Ooh, what happens if they start crossing the uh, the picket lines? I know our our POTUS is uh, stumbling around a picket line someplace, maybe tripping and falling. I'm not sure, but he's somewhere up around uh, a picket line with the UAW. I wonder. What if the big three, what if they started bringing in some of the Sorry, the migrants. They're getting their work permits. They're going to be allowed to work. They're asylum seekers. So here's what you do. You get asylum seekers. They come across the border. The migrants, they come across the border. Here's what you do. Load them on buses and say, we got jobs for you at the UAW plants up in Detroit. Or Detroit, as it's called. Right? That's where you start sending them. Like, I don't know any, I'm at at a loss. We've tried everything that I can think of, and the two political parties are unable to come to an agreement. They are unwilling. They just flat out refuse to fix the problem. They won't even do, I mean, think about how easy this is, right? There's, There's widespread support for the Dreamers. Kids were brought here as babies. They had no control over their situation, and you may not personally like it, but the vast majority of Americans say, give them legal status, but just them. The problem is with the chain migration policies, when you give one member of a family status, then they are able to chain migrate all of these people that, you know, even they didn't know they had any relationship with. But all of a sudden, everybody's related to everybody else, right? It's this chain migration pattern where people abuse the system and they get married, you know, in order to gain status. So you can't even do a standalone bill for the dreamers, which both parties support. Majority, uh, the majority of Americans support that. And you can't even do that because they both use it for leverage. They both try to like, well, I'm going to put this in. If you want the dreamers, then you're going to have to go along with, you know, whatever I want here. And the other side's like, I don't want to do that. This is, uh, you just, you got to make it, you got to make it bad. This is Cloward and Piven. You got to collapse the cities. Unfortunately, what Biden probably will do is just bail them all out. But I don't know any other way. I don't know any other way except to make it hurt a lot. To make it hurt a lot. In fact, hang on. There we go. Democratic mayor of Dallas, Texas, Eric Johnson, announced that he's crossing the political aisle and not just working with Republicans. He's going to become one. He cites the failure of progressive policies in combating crime, homelessness, and drugs. 
This is a Democrat mayor, black Democrat man. And he said, when my career in elected office ends in 2027 on the, okay, so this, so he's term limited, I guess. And so after he, so he's doing the Trisha Cotham. Is this the deal? Like after he wins election as a Democrat, then he's like totally a Republican. But he says, um, I will leave office as a Republican. I realize this will come as a surprise to many. The future of America's great urban centers depends on the willingness of the nation's mayors to champion law and order and practice fiscal conservatism. Our cities desperately need the genuine commitment to these principles as opposed to the inconsistent poll-driven commitment of many Democrats, which has long been a defining characteristic of the GOP. Champions of law and order and fiscal conservatism. In other words, American cities need Republicans and Republicans need American cities. Johnson has become increasingly vocal about declining public safety, particularly across urban areas in recent months. In February, the Democratic mayor shared an article arguing that the mass retirement within the Austin, Texas police force was driven by the defund the police movement. (gasps) No. Apparently so. I got way more on that stuff, too, we're going to get to today. Oh, my gosh, there's so much to get to. Um, The Hellion says, Pete, the Eagle Pass video I saw yesterday showed a law enforcement officer holding the fence open for uh, border crossers. At this point, why is there anybody there with a uniform on? It's a great question. Why, indeed? What are you even doing there? Oh, I know. You're picking up the babies that they're leaving along the riverbank because that's what's happening, too. The coyotes and the smugglers and the people who don't have any kids but know if they have a kid, they're going to get easier access, so they just have a kid, bring a kid across, they rent a child, and they just drop it on the riverbank, and they know somebody in a uniform is going to come pick them up. They're, 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 they're funneling children through razor wire. That's what they're doing at the border. Your policies are allowing this inhumanity. I thought it was bad enough with the drop houses where people are getting kidnapped and held for ransom and murdered and raped. I thought all of that was bad enough. But now you got you got these people that are smuggling kids and stuffing them through razor wire fences. And your response is take down the fences. Not to say turn around. You're not getting to stay here. Good God, people. And, and I'm supposed to take my moral cues from these people. All right, you may have noticed that I've been helping the Alzheimer's Association of Western North Carolina for a while, and it's a great organization. they got awesome people with huge hearts. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's when I was a kid, and back then there wasn't a lot of support for caregivers and family. Now, things are different today thanks to the work of the Alzheimer's Association. That's why I support them. Every year we do a series of walks all over the country. There are a bunch in the Carolinas. You can go to alz.org slash walk for a walk to end Alzheimer's near you. This month, there are walks in Hendersonville, Rock Hill, Mooresville, Greenville. And in October, we got Charlotte, Gastonia, Asheville, Kannapolis, Hickory, and Spartanburg. Go to alz.org for all of the dates and locations. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, and we're asking if you can help us get there. Will you walk with me for a different future for families? For more time, for treatments, this is why we walk. A couple more uh, messages here. This is on uh, the Twitter machine from uh, Cirque de la Soul. It's a Pete tweet. 
Pete, let's not pretend that the empty suit that is Joe Biden is in charge of anything. This is the Fundamental Transformation of America, brought to you by Barack Obama, a.k.a. the Basement Dictator. I like to call him the red diaper baby. Barack Obama is a red diaper baby. His mom, commie. His grandparents, commies. And I don't mean that like, look, you know me. I, uh, I'm a wordsmith. Right. So I know like words have meaning. I try to be very clear when I talk about leftists versus Democrats versus liberals um, versus progressives. Right. I don't I don't just use all of those terms interchangeably unless like I'm on a roll and then it's just like, you know, the Japanese are, uh, you know. No, they actually are bombing Pearl Harbor. It was the Germans. Never mind. So the uh, the the red diaper baby comes from the fact that his mom and his uh, grandparents were actual communists and the guy that they uh, that when his mom left him with her grant with, with her parents his grandparents and then she died um, his mom died well they originally split his parents had split when his father who's also a communist moved back to Africa but then she remarried and that's when she was with Lolo Sotero in what uh Philippines or Indonesia? Indonesia, I think. I forget. But he worked for Coca-Cola. And this was one of the big fights that they had that led to their divorce. It was over him being cool with capitalism because it was elevating his lifestyle, his standard of living and for his family. And so that it was it was raising it was raising them all up. And he was happy with this. And she was like, I'm a commie. And he's like, well, I'm not really. And so anyway, they split and um, she comes back to. Uh, America, and that's when he's living with the grandparents, and grandma works at the bank, but also a commie, and that's when they're like, hey, we got a pal um, who, you know, can really act as a father figure for Barack, and that pal was Frank Marshall Davis. You would know that from the latest versions of Barack Obama's book or his audio book, because I believe he deleted the reference to Frank Marshall Davis, called him Frank, took him out of the book, uh, left uh, left him nameless, but the, the figure is still in the book. And uh, Frank Marshall Davis, also a commie, uh, like literally a card carrying member of the Communist Party. Like He had a card and everything. So, uh, yeah, so that's why I call him a red diaper baby. He's a red Avenger. He's he's, you know, growing up, he is he has no father figure. He's got this Frank Marshall Davis guy and he's got this, you know, I think this kind of urge, this drive to prove that his parents philosophy was correct anyway i digress um this is the uh, yeah this is obama's third term joe biden is simply the tool obama is the dear leader this from chazzy doodle he says pete uh we have migrant workers that arrive on april 1st and then they leave on december 15th they are legal all the rest of the people are illegal immigrants p.s i gate crashed a dead show too it was the second show in 95 with Bruce Hornsby. Dude, I was there. I was at that show, the Charlotte show, 95, Bruce Hornsby, second night. I was there. Charlotte Coliseum. Yeah. yeah. Wait, were you there too? Yeah. No, you would have been like two. I was there. 95? How old were you? Bernie, how old what, How old would you have been? Four years old. Uh, you suck. Um, so, <laughs> no, because then the next year... I went and saw went and saw the dead at RFK. Um, I did not gate crash at the Charlotte show. I was a legit 
I was legit at that show. I had a ticket and everything. And, um, but the RFK show, I mean, I had tickets for that too, but there was the whole big green field. And I was like, when am I ever going to get a chance to run on RFK grass, you know? And so and I went for, and I went to the show actually, because Bob Dylan was opening. And I said, when, you know, Bob Dylan's kind of getting up there in years. And I was like, I'm afraid I might not ever get to see Bob Dylan and he's opening for the dead. So, you know, they're going to do songs together and stuff. And so, yeah, I went and saw that show too. And then it was like a week or so or something. It was very soon after that Jerry Garcia died and Dylan still alive. Bob Dylan's still alive. But yeah, the Bruce Hornsby show. Yeah. Cause they did, uh, Oh, I'm trying to remember the set list now. Gosh, it's been so long. Anyway, I did not gate crash in Charlotte. Because that's, you know, you're you're here, you're home. You don't gate crash your own stadium. But, you know, when in D.C., you know, what happens in D.C. stays in D.C. Unless, of course, you know, 20 years later you end up on the radio talking about it. Then it doesn't really stay in D.C.